If you own a small business, you might be asking yourself, can Tax Act help me do my business and personal taxes? The answer is yes. If the answer was no, it would have been pretty ill-advised of Tax Act to have asked that question in the first place. And Tax Act prides itself on not doing ill-advised things. In conclusion, Tax Act can help small business owners get their personal and business taxes done. Tax Act. Let's get them over with. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. The media has done an enormous disservice to their readers. So like, yeah, they don't want to talk about periods, but if you're going to make it a political issue, then the media has a job to explain that to people and they've really fallen down on it. Hello and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Jess McIntosh, a Democratic strategist and CNN commentator. This week, a bombshell Supreme Court draft opinion, which was leaked to Politico, revealed the court is prepared to overturn Roe v. Wade and allow states to ban abortion. The draft opinion has been celebrated by conservatives long critical of Roe and decried by liberals who have sounded the alarm on ending federal protections for abortion rights. To get a sense of how the Democratic Party is reckoning with the news, I wanted to speak with Jess, who served on Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and has been working as a Democratic advisor and strategist with a particular focus on reproductive rights for more than a decade. I called her up on Friday to discuss what this decision means for Roe and abortion in America, what it means for the upcoming 2022 midterms, and what she makes of how the media reports on reproductive rights. Jess, thanks so much for joining me on a very busy week. It is a very busy week. I feel like I was just sort of finding my footing in the last dystopia, and now I, I have to find it in the new one. <laughs> Head first into a new one. Yeah, that tends to be how Mondays go, uh-huh. I feel like, in this, in this industry. So let's jump right into it. Supreme Court has apparently decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, which would allow states to outlaw abortion. We know this because of fairly, uh, in a fairly shocking development, a draft of a majority opinion written by Justice Sam Alito was leaked to Politico. That, you know, from a media perspective, is one of the biggest reporting scoops in years. But the substance of the story is absolutely earth shattering. Why don't you start by telling me where you were when you first heard the news and what first went through your head. Uh, I was sitting on my couch because it was it was evening. I had just poured myself a glass of wine. I was actually in exactly the same position, having just poured myself a glass of wine sitting on that side of the couch as I was when I learned that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. And uh, it felt exactly the same. Like there have been a few moments that just literally felt like a gut punch. Like we use that as a metaphor, but it's like, oh, all of the air has just left my body. And um, and I was very much expecting this. I mean, very much expecting this. I'm, I'm, I've been working in reproductive rights, uh, specifically for women candidates for uh, over almost a decade now. Uh, that's been my focus. And, and I've been yelling, you aren't paying attention. They're going to overturn Roe for a very long time. This is real. We are not hysterical. This is happening. 
And still, still, I think it was it was the unprecedented nature of the leak that was that like lent it that added shock value. If it had come down in the normal course of order, I I don't think I would have felt quite as slapped. But it it came out this way, um, and it's stronger than I was expecting. I was honestly I because you know they're kind of cagey usually. I was expecting a ruling that fully gutted Roe, got rid of the viability uh, as determined, you know, most people don't really know what's in Roe. It's a doctor gets to determine viability. A doctor decides when a pregnancy is viable and therefore can't be terminated. I thought they'd issue a ruling getting rid of that, saying that politicians get, so that would effectively gut Roe, but they wouldn't use the words, we're overturning Roe and Casey. So I was surprised to see that laid out that starkly. That did surprise Particularly me. with such such strident language in the opinion. I mean, it's a really scathing opinion when you yes, when is. you read it. Um, could you explain to us what this means for Roe and what it means for abortion in the United States? Yeah, I mean, it means states' rights. It means the same the same thing that states' rights have always meant, which is that a, a large portion of our states are going to discriminate against marginalized people. In this case, that's going to be women. And it's going to be specifically poor women. It's going to be black women. It's going to be younger women. It's going to be women without means. I'm sitting here in Brooklyn at the age of 40, this ruling probably doesn't affect me personally at all, ever. Um, but I have a lot of people in my life that I love. <laughs> and I have been doing this this work for a very long time for them um, in the same way that my mom did it for me and uh, her mom did it for her. And, and, and like, the, we, you know, the, the baton has fallen on our part of the relay. And that feels awful. I know it's not our fault. I, I know what happened. Um, and it was a, you know, it was a series of, it was a series of cheats that led to a court that is largely illegitimate, um, largely appointed by presidents that did not win the popular vote, um, one that was impeached twice. Um, we now know that perjury was committed in in all of those four Supreme Court hearings. We we know, and there are multiple reasons to call many of these justices illegitimate. Um, but the Republicans installed them anyway. They broke rules to do it. And uh, now we're sitting here stuck with the consequences. I was reading a, a piece by Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times, That's really great. laying out how disruptive overturning Roe will be for the country, because you're basically going to have half the country outlawing abortion and the rest of the states serving as abortion sanctuaries with lawsuits flying back and forth yes. over state lines. Is that divide that this is going to create in the country? Is that a big concern to you as a strategist, as someone who works on campaigns? No, it's not about the, I mean, the people in red states are not going to be happy with what happens. Like ab abortion is not actually a controversial issue. This is something that the media never, like cannot get right. 70% of people supporting Roe v. Wade, supporting the right to abortion. That is, that is the kind, those are the kinds of numbers that you get for like clean water, <laughs> like we're not we're not talking about something that the country is divided on. And if you ask that question in different ways, it becomes very obvious that even even a majority a majority of independents, even a sizable chunk of Republicans don't want politicians deciding when and whether you become a parent. And once we see the reality of what this is, which is that women will be jailed, doctors will be jailed. This is new. The criminalization of this is new. This is new in our post-Roe world. That was not a part of pre-Roe world. Um, you're going to see women having to report to the state when they miscarry. That's not something Republicans want. So I'm not, I'm not seeing a, a red state, blue state divide. I'm, I'm seeing a, a country full of 
people who are angry and afraid and um, in legal jeopardy and whose health is in jeopardy. Um, and I, you know, the, the, the transport between states is going to be very complicated, but it's not the thing that scares me the most. The thing that scares me the most is, you know, women going to jail because the state decides that they have not um, fulfilled their duty as a woman, I guess. And what's your take on the way you alluded to this uh, uh, just then, on the way pollsters ask about abortion rights? Because opinions can swing wildly depending on how the question is totally. worded, right? If there's, there's always strong support for upholding Roe, but then the support drops when you ask specific questions about banning abortion after six weeks, right. um, et cetera. Like, do you think, what do you make of that? Polling on this issue has been some of the dumbest on any issue ever for the entirety that I have been doing this work. They used to ask, <laughs> is abortion a big issue for you? Like rank, rank your issues. And then they would just stick abortion on there. And I'm like, freaking pro or con? Like, how do you, yes, abortion yeah. is, this means nothing to me. And like, they did it that right. way until just a few years ago. So we are like, okay, so someone cares about abortion one way or the other, I guess, but that gives us zero meaningful data. The other thing is that abortion has been such a target of, I mean, it's been one of the largest misinformation, largest, most sustained misinformation campaigns that we've had in any, sorry about my dog jangling. He's angry about everything. No worries. Um, about half of these podcasts, there's a dog there, so <laughs> Always. I'm used to it at this point. I mean, it's the only good thing about the dystopia <laughs> is the dogs. Um, so the point is <laughs> yes, agreed. that, like, you know, historically, the misinformation around abortion has been really entrenched. This is, we're talking about decades here. This isn't like a new QAnon phenomena. So, of course, if you ask a question like, should a woman be able to get an abortion up until the moment of birth, that answer is going to be fairly low because it presupposes that that happens. But when we're talking about an abortion later term in pregnancy, what we're talking about is a tragedy. The woman who just decides at eight months after going through that with her body and her person for eight months just decides to abort the baby, that doesn't happen. That woman doesn't exist. The women who are getting those abortions, they've painted nurseries. They've picked out names. These are wanted pregnancies that something has gone terribly medically wrong during. And if you ask the question that way, should a woman be forced to carry a, a fetus that's going to die immediately upon being born? Should she be forced to carry that tragedy in her own body for a certain amount of weeks because a politician says she should? What do you think the answers are going to be on that? It's the same question as should we have abortion up until the moment of birth, but you're going to get two completely different sets from the exact same group of people on it. Do you have major concerns about the way that media reports on abortion rights? Do you think they're bad at explaining those sorts of things? I, th I have major concerns with how media reports on abortion rights, and I think they are bad at explaining those things. I, a thing that I used to do on my serious show that I would get like, I would get tons of like thank yous from guys on Twitter every time we did it. I would explain what a six week ban actually meant. Because if you say six week abortion ban, people are like, oh, you've got six weeks to get an abortion. Most men don't realize that pregnancy is marked at the time of your last period. So if you miss, let, let's say you get your period May 19th, you miss it June 19th. So June 21st rolls around and you're like, I should maybe get a pregnancy test. My period is two days late. That's a very fast thing, by the way, to like two days later be like, because, you know, our cycles are wonky. We don't talk about it a lot because who wants to? We shouldn't have to. Point is, June 21st, you go get your pregnancy test. You find out you're pregnant. You call your doctor. Your doctor confirms that you are pregnant. Your doctor says that you are pregnant starting May 15th. So at that point, with everything being totally normal, 
you now have a little under two weeks to secure right. an abortion. Yeah. And that might mean out-of-state travel. It probably means childcare because 65% of people who have abortions are already mothers. Like, none of this stuff gets explained in the media. They don't explain yeah. the six-week ban. They don't explain who gets abortions and why. They don't push back on this late-term abortion idea. Like, like they don't explain what the realities of it is. I mean, they use pictures of, of largely pregnant women, like with, with huge stomachs, to illustrate stories about abortion. When 89% of the abortions we're talking about, you're not showing. You're a few weeks right. in. <laughs> like, it's a clump mm. of cells. So, yes, the media has done an enormous disservice to their readers. And a lot of it's because men have controlled the media pretty exclusively up until just a few years ago. <laughs> so... So like, yeah, they don't want to talk about periods, but if you're going to make it a political issue, then the media has a job to explain that to people and they've really fallen down on it. That reminds me of, uh, remember when, when Ralph Northam, the, the former governor of Virginia, had the, made those comments about late-term abortion. And yeah. I remember trying to figure out what was going on, whether or not the coverage of it was accurate or not. And it was so difficult to find out exactly what he meant to say, what the issue was that he was talking about. And I was like shocked by how poorly the media was doing its job of explaining how rare these situations yes. are, what type of situations there are. And, and you know, when you had Republican lawmakers saying that, that Ralph Northam was endorsing infanticide. Right. Infanticide. Yeah. Infanticide. You are talking about the most tragic, sympathetic cases involved here. Something has gone terribly wrong with a pregnancy. And a baby that you wanted is not going to be able to be born and be healthy. Like this is the, like the, the people who have the parents, this is, it's not just, it's not just one of the parents who have to go through that deserve absolutely nothing but our sympathy. And the fact that like half of our political elected officials accuse them of murdering their babies is just it, like, it's vile. It's gross. It's like, I don't have adjectives odious enough for what they are willing to do. Um, but that's been the sustained misinformation campaign for a very long time. So you have, you know, you, and the media doesn't help. So you have people who have um, a small number of people who have a really seriously wrong idea about who gets abortions and why. I mean, 65% of people who get abortions are already moms. And that is not a stat that gets repeated. You picture the, no. you picture a teenager, you picture right, a exactly. kind of slutty 20 year old. I don't know, but like they're, they're, they're parents making an economic decision for the families that they already have in the majority of cases, because they're also freaking grown ups, and a woman can decide I'm good. I have the two kids I have. That's enough for me. And that is entirely her adult human choice to make. Um, I think the other way that the media has fallen down just thoroughly is by presenting this as a controversial issue. Like, how many articles can you read that don't say support for abortion is wildly popular? They make it sound like we're a divided country, and we're not. We're a pro-choice country. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> there are fears among some Democrats now that if Republicans win Congress in 2022 and then the presidency in 2024 that a federal abortion ban could be passed. Yeah, of course. Does that strike you as a real possibility? Of course. Of course. I mean, how can we be possibly sitting here with the, with the Supreme Court overturning Roe and be like, oh, this is as far as they'll go. They won't go any farther than this. Clearly, this is the end of it. Like, no, they, they want to return as closely to the traditional patriarchal... I mean, look at what Alito put in the decision. It rooted in history. 
like the, the right needed to be deeply rooted in our history. Well, historically, I haven't had rights. Historically, Black people haven't had rights. Historically, gay people haven't had rights. So if the right needs to be deeply rooted in our racist, misogynist, homophobic history, then those, that's who's going to get rights in the future. Like, if that's the court's precedent, and I'm sure we'll see something, I, I can't imagine that this is the decision that we're going to get in full. Like, I'm sure it will be watered down. But this is where they want to go. This is why Alito is on the court. So, like, yeah, it's not going to stop until they're back at whatever decade they thought things were going the best for them. Is there anything Democrats can do, you know, if they manage to pass a federal law protecting abortion rights? Is there anything that would keep that in place that would prevent a court from striking it down? There's a lot of things that Democrats could do right now. I think holding, holding, forcing the vote on Wednesday is good. That is good, even though it will lose. It is good to not cave to a lesser bill like Collins and Murkowski want to put up. It is good to put the actual vote up for this, even though they will lose. It would be better to get rid of the filibuster. It would be better than that to expand the court. Like there are things that we can do. Nine justices is not enshrined in the Constitution and certainly not enshrined in the Constitution is nine justices, four of whom should not be sitting on the court. Like there's been a takeover. We now have minority rule from a very entrenched extremist party. It's not, that was not the way the founders set up the court. This was not how they were supposed to behave. Mitch McConnell just, you know, tread all over the founders and the constitution when he engineered the makeup of this court. Um, Donald Trump should not be responsible for two justices. There were already votes being cast when Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in. That was an appalling, egregious um, misuse of the court. And we should not be, we shouldn't be okay with that. Like, it's not just about abortion. It's about all of, all of the issues that we have to deal with. Like, we should not be okay with this being our Supreme Court. It doesn't have to be. We can add more justices. We can do this. It's not hard. Now, you you left your uh, Sirius XM show, Signal Boost, which you hosted with Zerlina Maxwell. The timing was interesting. I, I assume it's to work on some campaigns in, uh, in yeah, ahead of the 2022 midterms. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that this issue, now that you're, you're looking forward to 2022, do you think that this issue is going to drive any votes God, yes. in the upcoming midterm election? Of course. And hopefully it drives men. Like men for like this, this is going to affect them too. Men have abortion stories, whether they tell them or not, whether they know them or not, they have them. Right. I mean, there are men who have jobs and careers and families that they wouldn't have had otherwise if the women in their life didn't have the right to abortion. Um, And that is true after Roe is overturned as well. So I I do expect, you know, the men who say that this isn't their, their issue, the men who don't feel like this is their issue, like. I don't think they feel that way because they know if they got someone pregnant, they would like skip town and change their name. Like, I don't think that that's true. I think that they simply never thought it would happen. And so they never really thought about what it would mean for them. And that's going to change. Um, I also think there are a lot of um, independents, you know, women who are uh, swing voters don't really exist anymore, but like women who are not terribly partisan, not terribly plugged into politics, who similarly thought, that this couldn't possibly happen, that the right, you know, they like to talk about it, but they're never actually going to do it. Well, now, now they've done it. So I do think um, the gender gap can still get wider. It is at the widest point it ever has been in history, but white women still vote Republican. Um, That could change. That probably will change. And I I do think we're going to see a lot of men waking up and realizing that like their lives are different now. Like we have to deal with the 
you know, the bodily autonomy issue. They're never going to be forced by the state to give birth, but they might be forced by the state to parent at any age for any reason, already married, teenagers, disabled, not able to financially. So it doesn't matter. You're going to be forced to parent if that happens to you. Um, by politicians. And I, I think a lot of guys who are sitting there like, I'm a little libertarian, neither party really speaks to me, like that's going to speak to him. David French, the conservative writer and lawyer who's long argued against Roe, he had a piece in The Atlantic this week citing Ruth Bader Ginsburg's criticism of the ruling as too sweeping and therefore unstable. What do you make of arguments that regardless of what you think of abortion rights and whether you support it, Roe itself was not the way to protect them. I, I don't give a crap. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I can't like devote any time or energy to David French's legal argument about whether or not the state is allowed to force me to give birth. Like Roe has been serving just fine for 40 years with, if you didn't have Republican 49 years, if you didn't have Republicans trying to chip away at it all the time, using any judicial measures that were available to them, I mean, how many abortion clinics closed because they demanded that hallways be wide enough to fit gurneys, which abortion clinics don't require? Like, it, saying that our law wasn't bold enough to stand up against every assault that they could think of is like, okay, well, maybe the problem is the assaults. Maybe the problem is not the law. Like, maybe the problem is not our protection. Maybe the problem is the fact that you keep firing arrows at it. <laughs> like... It's not about the fortification. It's about the opposing army. I, I just like I can't, I can't give any time to it. This is this is this is a human. This is a basic human right. We're talking about bodily autonomy. Like we're talking about the ability to decide when and whether to become a parent. We're talking about the ability to make medical decisions that that will determine whether or not you live and die. Like, I I just don't care. <laughs> Do you think this is going to be the major issue going into the 2022 midterms? Is this what a lot of candidates are going to be focused on, focusing on Democratic candidates? I don't know if the candidates are going to be focusing on it. It's definitely going to be a major issue for voters. But we're living in so many intersecting dystopias right now that, like, you know, we're still in a pandemic. The economy is doing a ton of stuff that the economy is doing. We're on the brink of an international world war and climate change is breathing down our necks. So, like... That's not to take anything away from the issue of Roe. It'll be my biggest motivating issue this year. But, you know, I can forgive people if it's in their top three instead of <laughs> the one that's that's driving them into the streets. But, like, the protests never stopped. You know, the political leak happened. The Supreme Court filled up. They're still there. Like, the protests haven't even really started yet. It's, like, this weekend that we're looking for the big ones. So... Uh, you know, I think I think we don't we don't know whether this will be the issue of November, but it will certainly be um, an enormous driving force for the electorate. My last question, uh, looking back on 2016 and the Clinton campaign, um, which you to? worked on. Yes. I know. I'm so sorry that I have okay. to end it like this. It's stunning how consequential that election has ended up being, because yeah. thanks to, um, as you noted, like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, it resulted in a number of uh, conservative justices being put on the Supreme Court in one president's term. Does that fill you with either anger about those who didn't support Clinton and about yes. the way the media treated Clinton? Yes. Does it fill you with any sort of disappointment about the campaign having fallen short in any no, way? No, it's the anger. It's anger. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely okay. anger. Um, the, it seems so silly right now to explain to people that the number one story was possible improper use of her email server 
it, like, it feels like I'm lying, even as I'm saying, like, I have to remind myself that I lived through that. And that was the biggest story of the election. All campaign long. It was the, the narrative. And that's not our fault. Like, that's not the fault of the campaign. That's the fault of the media. Like, that, I, I don't even really blame the, Ber- I, don't, I don't even blame the Trump voters and the Bernie bros as much as I blame the media for that. I don't do you think, think the media's do you think the media's gotten any better since? Yeah, yeah, and there are a lot of like and uh, that was a big reckoning moment for the media. I think they realized a little bit what they did. And there are a lot of women in very prominent places where there weren't before. You know, Zerlina and I didn't have a, a serious morning show before 2016. You didn't see women anchors, you didn't see women producers as often as you do now. There were a couple of legacy folks. You know, we had a Rachel Maddow, but like now you've got a lot of women on the masthead. You have a lot of women in newsrooms. It's not perfect by any means, but we weren't even allowed to point out that that coverage was sexist. We got laughed at if we tried to say this obsessive focus on the email server is weird and sexist. We would be laughed at in an interview. It didn't go well. Now it's such a given that like, I don't even have to worry about saying it. It's like in the Hulu documentary about Hillary, like how weird and sexist that was. So like, yeah, no, mad. I'm just mad. I'm only getting madder. Well, Jess McIntosh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I needed a I needed an outlet event for a minute. I really appreciate it. A good it. event. Okay, I'm, I'm glad we could provide that platform. Um, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check out coverage of my conversation with Jess McIntosh on Mediaite.com. Thank you.